Do you want to learn how to make your own beer? It's time for Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Here's your host, Jeremy White and Bert Deister. Good Saturday morning. It's almost fall as we uh, continue along here on Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It. Jeremy White with Bert Deister. I love fall. I, I put long pants on for the first time in months recently. I miss Feels pants. Great. I really miss pants. I miss, never thought you'd say that. <laughs> I miss hoodies. And I'm ready for them. And last weekend, I think last weekend, Sunday, I would have felt like a tinge in the air. Even though it was like 72, I felt fall. And as soon as you feel for the first time, at least for me, I just think, oh, man, bring it. Like, I, I know that we had 80 degrees all week. I don't need it anymore. I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not kicking it out the door. But if it just went straight to fall right here, I'd be, I'd be happy. So we'll have some fall beers to talk about a little bit as we go because summer is almost over. Um, but... Before we do that, the entry deadline for the Niagara Tradition, uh, the Niagara Homegrown Homebrew Competition, is almost here. You have a little more than like two weeks to yeah. get them in. So, and we're going to give them two weeks to sit once they get in. Have and people submitted entries already? Or, or not yet? Okay, so they m- yet. might as well just wait not anyway. Yet. If you brought them in, we would take them now. Okay, and um, we are we're going to post that we're accepting uh, either today or in the next couple of days and bring them on in. Gotcha. So again. We can read you the rules, but if you're going to enter, you already would know the rules. It's just a matter of you know, procedure at this point. There is no entry fee. Three 12-ounce unmarked amber bottles, and get them in two weeks from today. Get them in by the 10th because that is the entry deadline day for the Niagara Tradition, uh, the Niagara Homegrown Homebrew Competition. All right, so this time of year, you're thinking about Hops. Hops. Big time, too, because not only do we get to harvest or think about harvesting our homegrown hops, um, we get the you know new hops of the year, both locally and um, nationally. And so that means new varieties. That means uh, you know varieties that went out of stock months ago are coming back into stock, um, stuff like Simcoe. That you know, maybe some homebrew shops or some breweries we're having trouble getting should be coming back in in full force now. So if you're into hoppy beers, this is a really exciting time of year. It's also the time of year for harvest ales as well. And so a harvest ale, a lot of people when you say harvest ale, they you know, or wet hop beer, they immediately think, oh, is this some pumpkin? This is spice or something like that. No, usually it's a beer you make as you're harvesting your hops, as they're still wet to kind of retain some of that vegetable flavor. And there are some commercial varieties available, but if this is something you really like, it's you know, you should have been growing hops. Harvest ale is you know, you'll start to see it in stores now. I've seen uh, a lot of the pumpkin displays already Starting out there. To come up. Yeah, I mean it's it's not even September, and uh, I haven't pu- seen any pumpkins by the roadside. Yet. No, not yet. But pumpkin displays. It's it's one of the th- ways you know fall is coming is people complain about being notified that fall is coming. Mm. And actually, the, the best way to know it now, I mean, before leaves change, of course, is that your beer changes, and your beer is going to beat. <laughs> I guess it's going to be Christmas lights and Christmas advertisements. But your beer changes. You go to Harvest Ales. You, you mentioned uh, vegetable flavors. Is that in your in your eyes, the consistent uh, the characteristic diff- of a fall flavor, or well, of a wet hop beer versus a you know traditional hop beer, and what you're doing is you're not drying out the hops prior to putting them back into the beer, and by trapping some certain oils and resins, and and uh, you really get a kind of cucumber or like vegetable like flavor to the beer and for some people 
it's addictive. And, you know, they really look forward to this time of year, and they try to stock up on some of those beers. You're saying the wet hops? Wet hops that beer, That can yeah. be addictive. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it's funny, like, the term wet versus dry, it's almost like wet isn't – It's you didn't do anything to make them wet. No. They're just, just you regular – You didn't do anything to make them dry, yeah. <laughs> right, so right. they're still holding on to most of their water. And you, this is a beer that if anybody who's – uh, growing hops and you have an established plant, this is something I really suggest doing. Because while you're doing your hop harvesting, which we're going to talk about, your harvesting for packing and putting away on uh, how to dry your hops in the second half of the portion of the show, you still want to make that wet hop beer because it's fun. You get to sit there, you're harvesting your hops, you're picking them. And what I usually do is make a you know IPA at about uh, 70 to 80 points of starting gravity. And as I'm harvesting, I'm just throwing a couple handfuls into the the brew so it's okay a little bit for the oast a little bit for the brew pot and they just go back and forth until i really filled the top of that boil kettle with hops so it's what? about an inch or two deep of hops sitting on the top of your of your boil of my boil so it's kind of like a yearly tradition for you it's, oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a rite of almost a rite of spring it's a rite of fall then yeah to be harvesting and brewing you got it and this is the time to harvest. How, how much of a window is there? If I've got, um, depending know. on the year, depending on the the plant, um, we'll say a uh, month and a half to two months. That's it's your really, window. Yeah, and it's really starting about now. And some people, the reason why I, I thought about this is, is some people have been bringing me in pictures or tweeting me pictures of their hops, and they're just getting ready to flower. I mean, they still kind of have some, you know, pre-flowers. Um, while I look at mine, it still has some pre-flowers, but a majority of the cones have grown to, you know, like a large size. It's an American Sea Hop Cascade, and so we're getting about an inch and a half to two inch cones. And they really have developed great pollen, and they're starting to look ready. They're starting to smell fresh. And while there's still some more developing on there, you always want to look at kind of, you know, when's the best harvest. And I think the majority of my rhizome is going to be ready in the next week or two. How much of a balancing act is it? It's tough. It's tough because there's, you know, off flavors that you'll get at either end of waiting too long um, or harvesting too early. Um, really, I mean, too early, you're kind of just cutting yourself out on some of the flavors. Um, and too late, if you let them sit there, they really can go quite rancid. The pollen on the inside will turn from a nice, you know, bright, reflective yellow to this kind of like orange, snotty looking stuff. And that's how you know if, if there's like a determination of when you're absolutely too late. The you color. can deal with a little bit of brown on the, you know, the petals of the, the flower. But if the pollen has turned this orange kind of rancid color, they're done. So it's this time of year you want to check every few days. Monitor the color first yeah. and foremost. Yeah, and you got it. And this is great to do as a home brewer. And so we'll kind of get into our harvesting the hops and when you want to harvest. You always want to check on them. It's one of the great things to do, especially if you got an established vine to, you know, pull in the driveway every day, go up to your vine and break open a cone. So what you usually want to do is either break it open or cut it with scissors. Uh, first thing you do is look at it. You want to see a good, you know, yellow pollen base there all the way up the cone and then give it a smell not only should you smell some aromas but you should start to smell some bitterness and some kind of more you know pungent or resiny aromas to the hop before you harvest and, and that's one of the things if you harvest too early not only are you going to be kind of losing out on some yield because you're going to have some more hops develop you're going to have some more cone growth um you're 
also going to get one more vegetable flavors and two you're not really going to get any of the alpha acids so is there something that kind of come into the flour late in the season so from now to late september and you're, you're i'm you you have something written for us here you're mentioning like the stickiness yeah yeah no there's kind of a pinch test now this is not my my standard but a lot of people swear by it and what they'll do is they'll go up to one of the hop cones and they'll pinch it. Now, if the hop cone is just starting to dry out on its own, it should be spongy and spring back to its original shape. However, if it's still really oily and sticky on the inside and developing, it will stay flat for a little bit and kind of stick to itself before it comes back open. So that is one method that um, you know people like to use to kind of determine if they're Hop rhizome is so if it's sti- I always com- encourage more of the, the ripping open and smelling. I think not only is it more fun, <laughs> but um, I don't. You get a better idea of what the uh, the flavors are doing, not just what the dryness is, and, and that's really what you're measuring there is, is how how the hop is starting to naturally dry on the vine. So from now till late September, you have to harvest these roughly. When it comes to taking them down, when we've established that. Hops generally grow back bigger and better every year. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's a weed. It grows well. How much of the plant am I taking off of the trellis or the lattice? If, if I'm taking it inside to cut yeah. or am I just cutting the, the actual would, meat of it? The thing that I would suggest about it too, first thing to suggest, have some good gloves on. When you're playing with one or two after work every day in the driveway, you don't realize that the, uh, you know, the, not only does the, the vine have like kind of small hairs on it they can get really rough when you're stripping a bunch of these uh but they also get kind of sticky and it can kind of really um give you kind of a rash kind of a little bit of a, a reaction on your hand so have some good gloves on whether it's like dish gloves uh or rubber gloves some people will just use work gloves if you're going to use work gloves i would grab a new pair i certainly wouldn't want my current pair of work gloves touching my right. beer. oil stuff like yeah, that you, you don't want that it. sawdust so get some good gloves on um, and now for first or maybe second year growers, you don't want to cut the vine completely down. You want to try to harvest the hops off, off the vine and leave the vine growing. Also, if you're having uh, kind of slow or you know weak growth in the early part of the summer and the rhizome seems to be barely surviving any winter, don't cut that top portion off. And what it's going to do is it's going to allow the plant to get some glucose, get some nutrients back into the rhizome. So it's the vine is going to kind of return some nutrients to the rhizome as it withers away and dies, and that's going to give it a little bit more staying power over the winter. However, if you have an established rhizome, you want to just cut it off about two to three feet from the base so that you don't injure the rhizome. It's not that you need to leave anything above ground is that you don't want to be cutting close to the rhizome where it might you know, bleed a lot of uh, sap. So the establishment of the plant over time really will, affects how you're going to harvest yeah. it too and, and how much you're going to get is, you know, we talked about in the spring. And when you, if, you, if you're trimming there, I mean, how much could you possibly be trimming off the top? A couple feet? Ooh, for me? Um, Way more than that? 20 feet? So you're cutting 20, 80% of the plant down basically oh, yeah. at the end of a year. Oh, I bet you, well, no, here's the thing. You're probably cutting down about 30% of the plant because we have to remember, that especially on a rhizome like mine at home or any established farm, it's been growing in that location for well over 10 years. And um, though I don't see shoots coming up very far from it, uh, the rhizome in places is more than I can wrap my hand around and is starting to move off to the side to the point where I need to start thinking about trimming it back. So if we wanted to talk about overall weight, uh, you know, definitely the rhizome is a majority of the plant so you're really so don't think of it like as you're taking away 
all the plant. You're just taking away 80% of what you can Gosh, see. Gosh, right, right, of the so, showing actual. You got it. And yeah. there's a lot of rhizome left. But yeah, hopefully you've trellised it well, so you can just cut a string at the top, cut the rhizome off at the bottom, and then start moving down your twine and pulling them off. And you do want to just grab them with your hands, pull them right off the vine. You don't want to cut them off in like grape clusters or anything like that. Just grab them and put them off to the side. Now, in a case where you've, ha- you've got a big plant that's very well established like yours, you mentioned trimming it back, will you cut some of the rhizome and move that and transplant it? Um, you wouldn't usually do that till the spring, but once you have an established rhizome, that's really easy to do. Um, it's hard to do once the rhizome starts growing for the season, though, and I'm always nervous about cutting into a rhizome in the fall for the same reason I'm worried about it losing lots of sap, having really an open wound, and getting an infection. And so try to move them in the spring if you can. I know some people do move them in the fall, but I'm always worried about you know, creating pockets and trying to move them in the soil so that, you know, it might get, uh, you know, frosted underneath the surface level. If I'm creating air pockets, if, it, you know, I don't have well-compacted soil, you know, it could get a little bit of frostbite. Well, a rhizome that's the size of the one that you're talking about at your house, you make it make sure it doesn't become self-aware and take over your entire yeah. uh, yard. <laughs> it sounds pretty big. All right, it's hop harvest time. We're getting you ready for uh, this time of the year. Uh, when we get back after our break here on Niagara Traditions Just Brew It, Uh, Options for dry hopping and storage, and uh, much more as we continue here on Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White here for Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. You're listening to Just Brew It, which means either you homebrew or you're thinking about it. Wherever you are in the process, Niagara Tradition Homebrew is your source for everything homebrewing. Do what I did. Get a starter kit, and you'll be well on your way. Niagara Tradition will be there to answer your questions, give you advice, and as I try to become a more seasoned brewer, I know I can count on Niagara Tradition to be there with the supplies and the advice I need. Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supply. 1296 Sheridan Drive, near Military, in Tonawanda. Open Monday through Friday, 11 to 7, Saturdays, 10 to 4, and 24-7 at nthomebrew.com. Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Pay them a visit, and remember to just brew it. All right, welcome back here to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White and Burt Dyser talking, harvesting your hops. We just... uh, Took them off the vine for you in our first segment. If you ever miss a portion of this, find uh, the show on demand at WGR550.com and on ESPN 1520's website as well. Uh, every episode is available to you on demand. Last week, uh, we did starting a friend for home brewing, uh, winemaking now that summer's almost over. So any episode you want to go back and find, those are available for you. The second half of this episode, dry hopping options and storing them. So the hops are off the vine. Now what? Now, so now you probably have them in a some type of tote or something like that. My suggestion would be let them sit there for a minute out of the sunlight, shake the tote, and then begin hand-removing the hops out into whatever vessel you're going to be drying them in. And when you get down to the bottom of that tote, don't look at what's there. Just dump that off into the garden, over your shoulder somewhere. Don't look at all the aphids, bugs, and you know other bits of plant matter that made it into there, spiders. Just ignore it. It's nature. Yeah. It's there in your commercial product, and that's why I say just toss it without looking at it because if you don't know, it I mean, you're, hurt you. You're ultimately drinking a beer that is made by natural processes. I mm-hmm. don't think you should freak out about nature being a part of it, right? You got it. You got it. So, 
you want to try to shake out the hops. You want to try to get any bugs or any debris off them really quick that may have been acquired during harvest. Um, but after that, you have a lot of different methods that you could use to dry them. And you could just, if you, especially if you have, say, a two- or three-year plant, you're not getting the pound and a half or two pounds that some people are off of established rhizomes, um, you may just want to make a wet hop beer and call it a day. Um, but if you're getting a serious amount, you need to start thinking about packaging this and drying it so that not only is it good to use now, but it's good to use further down the road. And that's really going to start with what you do as soon as you take it off. And now there's always, you talked about a balancing act to harvesting, there's a balancing act to drying. Um, and so you want to get that from about 80% water weight right now down to about 10%. Um, but you also have to worry about too much heat, light, overexposure to oxygen because all these things are going to take away some of the nice hot flavors and kind of skunk up you know your hops and so you want to keep them out of the light and you want to dry them out quickly so that you can get them out of air um, so inevitably you do end up providing some heat and you never really want to break 140 degrees Fahrenheit. So if you have a food dry dehydrator, if you're using a small space heater, if you're using a um, hair dryer, whatever method you end up using, you want to get a thermometer involved. And some people have the you know perfect attic temperature for this kind of stuff that they don't need a heat source, but you want to get a thermometer involved. You want to make sure you're not breaking that 140, and you don't necessarily want to be trying to push up as close to 140 as you can. It's not like you want to be at 139. Usually, I think I'm at about 110 to 120 degrees. If you're lower on temperature, it might take longer, but you're, a little bit but you're long. not going to do any damage. You got it. I mean, you don't want to be cold, and you don't want the air to be blowing over there to be dry. So if you have a place in your house that has low mold and a you know, dehydrator, if you have you know, central air and, um, again, uh, some type of condenser in your system, you want to use this, do this inside. Often I end up doing it in the garage, but you may want to look at the humidity that day and do it when a day is low, because that's going to make the biggest difference to how quickly your hops dry out. When whatever method you choose, whether the air has a really high holding capacity, has extra room for extra water, is really going to make a difference on how much water it takes off the hops. And so if the holding capacity is really low because the humidity is really high that day, it's not going to do that much work for you. You may want to hold off and try to do it inside, do it another day, or, you know, wait to a point in the day where the humidity gets really low. And hair dryer is one option. Other options include? A space heater, um, window fans, box fans. And what you're making here is something like an Oast. And now an oast is particularly a vessel for drying hops, um, and you're going to mimic one. Now, they kind of look like a massive food dehydrator, and they actually have a bed of hops. I think it's about 10 to 16 inches deep um, that goes across this giant perforated bottom floor, and fans blow the slightly warm dehydrated air up from underneath it. Now, this is actually not the process that all commercial hops are going to. It's a very traditional process, and there's a very small select flute, including our local growers, that are actually doing um, liquid nitrogen freeze dehydration. 
which is very cool and really preserves a lot of fresh flavor. Um, I don't know out of the national product who's doing that across the board yet, but I can tell you that uh, the Iroquois Hop Growers Association are and really produces a very fresh product. Um, I don't want to encourage anybody to try to do you know that at home mm-hmm. and i can assure you that no matter what you research online if you're just starting to grow hops dehydrating them the traditional way will produce great beers with great flavors and you know no frostbite so you want to get them dry and so an oast is going to have some type of false bottom whether people use a a new um uh window screen or whether they use a uh, uh insert fil- air filter uh, and buy a fresh one to put these on. You're putting the hops in the box, usually with a false bottom, and blowing gently air up underneath it. I really would suggest using the homemade oats of, again, a hair dryer stuck into the bottom with the screen suspended midway. Um, or some people just simply put the hops between two screens and put them on top of a box fan. Um, I really suggest using a homemade oats because I've really had bad luck with open air or just open room drying and so what we would do to do this is we would put them on screens put them into an attic and let them sit there for a day or two and we tried different places in the house the the attic's a little hotter a little hotter a little bit drier it's still in the central air loop and so it should be getting you know hot dry air up there that was our best luck we tried it on the kitchen table once that didn't work too well that's just room temperature at that point. you got it and what would happen is it would brown it would really start to brown um, we would preserve the pollen, but we were always kind of had this lingering cardboard flavor in the beers that we did with these open air drying. And I think it was because we weren't able to get all the cones dry fast enough. And now people ask all the time, well, how do I determine what is dry enough? And so they will usually try to, um, you know, take it and do it by feel which if you've been brewing for a while or harvested hops a couple of times, you might be able to do it just by feel of the cone. But you usually want to try, and I still do this just for my, um, to make it easier on myself and so I can have a couple beers while I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. I will take a known sample, usually put it in a hop bag um, and keep that in the batch. And when I've dried that out about to about 10%, I know that I've done the whole batch. And how you figure out what 10% is, is usually by just using the oven and microwave to completely over dry the hops. And so I'll take what I know is an ounce out of the uh, my sample size, put it into the microwaves, zap it until it's completely dry, and then say, oh, I have a half ounce. So if I have a sample here of another ounce, I want to get that down to about 0.6 ounces to know that about my whole batch has lost 80 percent of its water now from oh there's something else there on no dry? no no go from, right from drying to storing you know it's interesting to note that when you're storing you're going to point out that air is the enemy mm-hmm. could that be related to why when you just try and do a regular air dry without any sort of heat over time like if air is the enemy for storage you would think that there's going to be a critical point where air that's drying the hops goes from being the drying agent to like getting stale like you the air is quickly gonna at some point reach that point where you you know the hops are being stored and the air would corrupt them you got it you got it and so being attentive of your hop oast is very important if you use a food dehydrator it's going to be quick it's going to be anywhere from an hour to three hours if you use a homemade oast it's usually no more than overnight to you know, maybe more a little bit five hours if you're doing the open air drying it usually takes a full day 
and that's where it comes in. You have them sitting out there, exposed to the air, exposed to some light, even if you have them in a box or something like that. And yeah, that's not that's not how you would store your hops. And so if it's sitting there, you know, already dry, it's going to start to wilt. It's going to start to turn brown. So for storage, vacuum sealing. You got it. Is always ideal, and, and usually the uh, I have a uh, the very common. Uh, you know, a vacuum sealer, bag sealer, and it doesn't quite put enough of a vacuum on it. So you, you usually still want to get a large phone book or dictionary involved to try to press some extra air out of the bag. Flushing is great too. If you're going to flush it, press it once, then flush it. Make sure you put these packages into sizes that you'll actually use anywhere from one to two ounces. Maybe if you have a couple set recipes you like to do out of your homegrown hops, make it in those set additions for mm-hmm. those uh those recipes and then keep them in the freezer um that should be kind of obvious that's what you do with the the hops that you buy you know for me that's what you should do with the hops that you store yourself and watch out on the bags too you want freezer bags non-permeable freezer bags to try otherwise to keep the air out. freezer burn gets in you got it and air so you'll yeah. come back to them later and they'll plump up right these are the kind of sandwich bags for like school lunches and storing vegetables that allow some of the humidity to come out of your bread, of your, you know, vegetables while they sit. And you don't want that. You want a full seal. You're trying to keep a vacuum on there. Well, before we finish up, uh, we mentioned, you know, some fall beers. Maybe people looking for inspiration right now uh, for the time of year. It's too soon to make a winter warmer. It's too late to make an Oktoberfest if you're making a true one. Yeah. Although we, we you could still cheat. We, yeah, that was last week. Tell. We mentioned that. You, you, you could cheat. You could kind of hurry one up. If you bring me what you call an Oktoberfest and, and I think I might taste 1056, I'm not going to call you out yeah. on it. All right. So what, what else, though? What right now is a good time frame? If you're, if you're going to make something, what beer would be appropriate by the, the time it's ready? The beer that I want to make right now is some type of Belgian holiday quad. And the reason is people, as we start to get some cool nights here, people are, they can get back to their garage. They can stand next to a propane burner. Um, so some people are kind of just, so some people brew all summer. It's easy get outside. And some people are just getting back into it. And what I really want to brew is a big spice Belgian quad. Um, while we still have the warm weather, while I don't have to spend money to get parts of my house up to 80 degrees, uh, I want to brew this big Belgian beer so it will be ready for the holidays. And so we're kind of a little bit of an in-between. You're not, you're not, don't want to drink saisons, so you don't kind of want to brew one for the winter, but we still have these warm temperatures. What are you going to brew? Um, I would say Belgian quad, big Belgian holiday ale. And have you got a recipe for that if someone wants to come in and Absolutely. someone says, one I've of our, got a Belgian quad? I think I might make our box kit. We have You've a got a Belgian quad we box have, kit. We have, we have a wonderful one. It's called the Bride of Abbey Normal. Uh, it's a big, spe- spiced, dark Belgian beer. Um, it's won many awards. It's not one of our original recipes. Um, it's actually a commercial distiller, Keys Cretaccio's original recipe that he won many medals with. We also have customers write us all the time that they make that beer. They enter it as their one of their first entries into a competition and bring home a medal. Wow. So I think I'm going Solid to recipe. give up on my recipe for the season. All Here's right. Peace. Very good. Well, snag that. Make a Belgian quad and uh, write us. Tell us all about it. nthomebrew.com is the uh, email or the website. You can email us at any time uh, online at ntjustbrewit and the Twitter handle is also uh, at and NT Homebrew as well. So anytime you want to reach out to us, you're more than welcome to do that. We answer questions on the show and uh, look for topics from you. So enjoy your final days of summer. I, for one, 
welcome fall. Happy Saturday. And go brew yourself. Beer, 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 You've been listening to Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started, visit them at 1296 Sheridan Drive in Tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Just Brew It.